0: week we'll have a church dinner and eat and fellowship together and uh, tonight we're going to observe the Lord's table together and I'm going to be uh, preaching on this subject. It's one of my favorite verses of scripture in Genesis chapter 43 where Judah said with regard to Benjamin, I will be surety for him. I've entitled this message, First, After That. There's an order. First, and after that. Now this is uh, the great chapter with regard to Melchizedek. I think it's kind of interesting to think if I would ask probably many preachers in Lexington, Kentucky... What they thought of Melchizedek, they'd say, What? <laughs> Who's he? But he is a very important figure in the scripture. He first comes up in Genesis 14 when he blessed Abraham, and then he's not mentioned again till the 110th Psalm, that's 800 years later. And somehow David understood that he was a priest called by God after the order of Melchizedek. He understood Melchizedek, the priesthood of Melchizedek. And uh, that's what Hebrews chapter 7 is all about. And we are going to spend several weeks in Hebrews chapter 7 regarding this man, Melchizedek. But I want us to notice in verse 2, to whom, speaking of Melchizedek, also, Abraham gave a tenth part of all. Um, just a note, I was looking for messages on sermon audio on this, and about the only messages you, you would hear is messages on tithing. You need to give 10%. Melchizedek did. If that's what you get out of it, you missed it altogether. This is not about whether or not believers ought to tithe. This is talking about the greatness of this man, Melchizedek, that Abraham gave him a tenth part of all. First, being by interpretation, king of righteousness. And after that also, king of Salem which is king of peace. And this is all I want to deal with this morning is this divine order. First, king of righteousness. I have no doubt in my mind that this is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ, this Melchizedek. There's only one man who could be described as king of righteousness, isn't there? That's the Lord himself. And after that, he's the king of peace. Now here's what I want to bring out from this. First, righteousness. Then, peace. The only way that you or I can have peace is if we are perfectly Righteous. Before God. You know what that means? Sinless. That means. I've. Never. Sinned. The only way that I can have peace. And I mean real peace. Is if. I have. Never. Sinned. That's what. Justification is sinlessness. The only way I can have peace is if I have never sinned. There cannot be peace unless there is first righteousness. Now, this is the message of the gospel. How that God can be just and yet justify People like me and you, sinful people. That is the message of the gospel how God can be just and yet justify me when I'm unjust. First, righteousness, after that, peace. Now, God is a God of order, and here we have the divine order. Paul said to the church at Corinth, God is not the author of confusion. He's not the author of disorder. The church at Corinth was in chaos, and Paul said, let all things be done decently and in order. Here's God's order, first righteousness, perfect righteousness. Oh, if you believe that you are perfectly righteous in Christ and have no sin, no sin, no sin. You know what you're going to have? Peace. I think of what Paul said in Romans fourteen seventeen: The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not do's and don'ts. It's not rules and regulations. It's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Now that is the order. Righteousness. Perfect righteousness. What comes from that? Peace. And let me say this. That's peace with God. I'm not talking about feeling feeling perfect peace, although you'd like to, but I'd rather have peace than feel it, wouldn't you? I want to feel it. Peace is a feeling. I want to feel it. But the peace spoken of is that peace that Christ worked out for me. Next time somebody says, have you made your peace with God? Tell them, no, Christ made my peace with God. Christ wholly made my peace with God. Righteousness, peace, and joy. In the Holy Ghost. In Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read this. You can turn there if you want. Luke chapter 1. I want us to notice this word order. God has an order. Verse 1. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order. A declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Even as they delivered them unto us. Which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things. From the very first to write unto thee in order. Most excellent. Theophilus that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. Paul said to the Colossians that he beheld their order and steadfastness in their faith. There will not be steadfastness in faith if there's not an understanding of the order. Righteousness, first righteousness, then Peace. Now, this is set forth, this thing of God being a God of order. It's set forth in creation. It's set forth in the very first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, here is the order, God, then creation. God, in his isness then creation. Creation. Now, even this thing of preaching, there must be a divine order. Preaching does not begin with man and the good things God can do for him. Preaching, true preaching, begins with God in the beginning. God And with God, and I'm speaking in words that we can just believe but don't really comprehend, the preaching of God begins in eternity. Before there was time, before there was space, He is the eternal God in the order of everything. It must first begin eternity in eternity or it is false. Known unto God are all his works from the beginning. Speaking of the death of Christ, we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28, For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, With the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. If I look at the cross of Christ apart from eternity, I take away its meaning and I make it God's response rather than God's purpose. Christ is the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. There is a divine order. I like what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, speaking of the scriptures, verse 20, he said, Knowing this first, this comes first, knowing this first, that no scripture is of any private interpretation. For the scripture came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Now understand this. The Bible is God breathed. Somebody says, how can you believe that? If we don't have the Bible... As God breathed, what do we have? The thoughts and opinions of ignorant, foolish men. And somebody says, how do you expect me to believe that God inspired a book and kept it preserved? Same way I expect you to believe that God created the universe. If he can create the universe from nothing, he can write a book, inspire men to write it, and keep it preserved. And that comes first. And all of our information about this divine order. Isn't just using logic. It's from the scriptures. That's where we've got to begin. If if I can't go to the scriptures. To declare what I'm preaching. If I can't show this is what God's word teaches. This is an exercise of futility. It's, there's just no point in it. We've got to begin with. The scriptures, knowing this first, all of our information comes from the scriptures. And even in the scriptures, there's an order in interpretation. What do I mean by that? Well, the Lord said, with regard to the scriptures, they are they which testify of me. Every scripture testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I don't begin there in my understanding of the scriptures, I've missed the meaning. I've got to begin there. I know where to begin. Whatever it is, I might not understand it completely just yet. But whatever it is, I know it testifies of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I must begin there. Now Christ identifies himself in this way. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet. Alpha and Omega. I'm the beginning and I'm the end. I'm the first and I'm the last. There is the divine order. What a glorious Savior He is. It's said of Christ that all things were made by Him and for Him, and He is before all things, by Him all things consist. Without him was not anything made that was made. Now let's consider God's order. First righteousness after that peace. Now there's an order. God is a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. He's a God of order. And this is not logical, although it is logical. It's what the scripture teaches. We're not trying to be logical at this time. We're trying to give what the Scripture teaches. God is a God of order, and that is seen first in the order of creation. God gives an order. Six days. Six days. Something happened on each of those days. Somebody says, does that mean a 24 hour period? I don't know. It may, it may not. Uh, known unto God or all his works with with God one day is his a thousand years and a thousand years is his day Uh, people debate is the earth 13.7 billion years old is the earth 4 billion years old and then there are people who will just take the genealogies of the scripture and say the earth is 6,000 years old well I know this however old it is that's how old it is and I also know this. God could create the world 13.7 billion years old when He first created it with all the, the oil and that the, the, the took or organic material. To He could do all that. I don't know. <laughs> but I know there is a divine order. Yeah. There is a divine order. The six days of creation, the seventh day of rest. And whatever God's Word teaches... Is exactly what I believe. I love it that way. As a matter of fact. I like what Donnie Bell. Donnie Bell made the best uh, statement. I've ever heard. With regard to the scriptures. If God said. Jonah. Swallowed the whale. I believe it. Somebody says that's incredulous. Well. uh, I believe the Bible is the word of God. It claims to be. And in. I believe everything God's word says. The providence of God has an order. We see the creation order, the six days. The providence of God has an order. Now, there was a time when there was no matter. There was no space. There was no time. When God created the universe, that's when matter, space, and time came to be. And providence is everything that takes place in time. The events and the sequence of the events and the outcome of the events are all determined by the Lord. You see, He is sovereign. He controls everything with regard to anything that takes place in the universe in time in space he controls it he is sovereign christ is before all things and by him all things consist now let me read you some scriptures romans 8:28 says that all things All things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. God is sovereign. Isaiah 45, I'd like you to look at this with me. Isaiah 45. I love to read this scripture. And I, you know, I... I just love this. Look in verse 5. I am the Lord, and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west, there is none beside me. I am the Lord. And there's none else. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I, the Lord, do all these things. You know, I love reading that. Because I love people coming up with their objections. You, you saying the Lord created evil? No, he said it. <laughs> he said it. What's it mean by that? You'll have to ask him. <laughs> he said it. And he controls evil everything. Look in Isaiah chapter 46 verse 9. Remember the former things of old for I am God there's none else. I am God there's none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times the things that are not yet done saying my counsel shall stand. I will do all my pleasure Calling a ravenous bird from the east, the man that executes my counsel from a far country. Yea, I've spoken it, I will bring it to pass. I've purposed it, I will do it. Here's the divine order and providence. God purposes it, it takes place. It covers everything. God purposes it, it takes place. Psalm 37, 23 says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Our Lord said, there's not a sparrow that falls to the ground without your heavenly Father. Over on the other side of the world, even right now, a bird falls out of a tree dead. You know why? God. God. Proverbs 16, 33 says, the lot is cast into the lap, but the whole disposing thereof is of the Lord. Now, somebody may be thinking, don't you believe in man's free will? No. No, not for a second. If you believe God, it's impossible to believe in free will. Stephen Hawking, the uh, guy that wrote uh, A Brief History of Time, He wasn't sure if there was a God. He went back and forth. I don't know where he was when he died. He went back and forth. But he said, if there is a God, there is no such thing as free will. It's an impossibility if God is. You're going to tell me man's will is free from God? Well, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. Now, let me tell you what I do believe. I do believe people do exactly what they want to do. And they do not do exactly what they do not want to do. And God is completely sovereign over what men want to do and what they don't want to do. They're not, when you do something, it's not because you were pushed or coerced, you did what you want to do. And God is completely sovereign over that. And here's the glorious thing about the living God. He brings good out of evil. Always. He's God. First God. After that, men do what they want to do. That's the divine order. And there is God's order in salvation. There is God's order. In salvation, David said in Second Samuel twenty three five, "Although my house be not so with God, yet hath He made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all." Turn with me for a moment to 2nd Timothy chapter 1. Paul says to Timothy in 2nd Timothy chapter 1 beginning in verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord Nor of me, his prisoner. But be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. According to the power of God. Who hath called us. And after we responded to the call, he saved us. (coughs) Someone says it. Who hath saved us and called us. Who hath saved us. What came first? The saving or the calling? According to this passage of scripture, he saved us before he called us. He saved us. And he called us. Now there is, uh, if you're saved, he'll call you. No doubt about it. And you'll respond. You'll believe. But in the divine order, salvation comes before the calling. Now, let me tell you what that means. That means salvation doesn't have anything to do with my works. Look what it says. He saved us. And called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. Every aspect of salvation was accomplished before creation. Well, didn't, have, didn't Christ have to come in time? Of course he did. Of course he did. He came in time to do that which he already did in eternity. The works were finished. Hebrews 4.3. The works were finished from the foundation of the world. Now, my salvation. My salvation. If it was not accomplished in eternity... It never took place in time. My salvation. If it was not accomplished in eternity. And I I love thinking of my salvation being accomplished in eternity. For this reason, it's it's a continual reminder to me that salvation is not by works. It's not by my doings. It's not by my thoughts or my feelings. It's what he did when Christ said, It is finished. What was done before time was done in time. And my salvation was finished. Completed. Ephesians 1.4 says, According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. That we should be holy and without blame before him. Here's the divine order. First a Savior. Then a sinner. Revelation 13.8, I've already quoted it. Christ is the Lamb slain from, from from the foundation of the world. Before there was ever a sinner, there was the Savior. You see, the Lord's salvation is not in response to what the sin is. The reason for the fall is the glory of Christ in this very glorious salvation that he accomplished on Calvary's tree. He's the reason. He's the first and he's the last. He's the alpha. He's the omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. Before there was a sinner, this is the divine order. Before there was a sinner, there was a savior. Listen to this. Listen to this very carefully. Before there's forgiveness, there must first be justification. After that, Forgiveness. Chew on that. Before there can be forgiveness, before your sins can be forgiven, you have to first be justified. And after that, God can forgive you of your sins. You know, the Lord said, I will by no means clear the guilty. God said that. Under no circumstance will I ever clear anyone who's guilty. The only way you can be cleared and forgiven of your sins is if you're first justified before him. And that justification was accomplished before time began. If I'm justified, I can be forgiven. Now here's a powerful illustration of that. I want you to look at this with me. First John yeah, First John chapter one. I want you to see this with your own eyes. First John chapter one. Verse nine. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness if we confess our sins. Now, I hope I don't need to say that that does not mean you need to confess each individual sin. There are two reasons for that. You don't know what most of them are. And if that's the case, mean you are in trouble. And number two, and I'm not exaggerating when I say this. This is not preacher speak. There's not enough time in the day for you to confess all your sins. What this is a reference to in this confession, it means agreement. You agree with what God says with regard to your sins. You agree with God. You take sides with God against yourself. Now that's what it is to confess your sins. If we confess our sins. What sounds to me like forgiveness doesn't come before confession. Now wait a minute. Look what it says. If we confess our sins. He is faithful and just. To forgive our sins. Now, what's that mean? The only reason you're confessing them is because he determined that you would confess them, and he is always faithful to do whatever he has said he will do. That's the reason you're confessing them. You can't pat yourself on the back and say, Well, at least I confessed them, somebody else didn't. No. The only reason you're confessing them. It's because he determined for you to do that. And he is faithful to make sure his will is always done. He's faithful. And it doesn't say he's merciful and gracious to forgive you of your sins. Although he is, it says he is just to forgive you of your sins. His justice demands your salvation. It doesn't say he's merciful and gracious to forgive us of our sins, although he is. But that's not what it says. It says he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He said, I'm a just God and a Savior. He must be just before he can be a Savior. Now, I wonder if anybody's thinking... You're just trying to be logical. Giving this order. You're just trying to be logical. Well, no, I'm being scriptural. I've shown you that I'm being scriptural. Now it is logical. I wouldn't deny that. It makes sense. It makes sense. One of my favorite criticisms that I've ever experienced, and I was I was talking to a Southern Baptist preacher, and I was talking about the death of Christ, and I said, uh, If he died for you, you must be saved. If he can die for you and you're not saved, then what his death did didn't do anything. He said, you're just trying to make sense. (laughs) You know, uh, uh, this is true. I, I never will forget. Henry Mahan brought a message over on American Avenue that he called Four Questions for Thoughtful People. I'll never forget that message. He said most people when it comes to religion, very intelligent people, they leave their brains and then check them out at the door when they come into the uh, room to hear. Four questions for thoughtful people. And here's those four questions. If God wills the salvation of all men the same, if he wills the salvation of Peter and if he wills the salvation of Judas, we know Peter was saved, Judas was lost. The Lord called him the son of perdition. If God wills the salvation of all men the same, what's the will of God have to do with salvation? Nothing. If God loves all men the same, if he loved Judas and he loved Peter the same, what's the love of God have to do with salvation? If he can love Judas and Judas winds up in hell, God's love didn't do Judas any good, did it? The love of God really has nothing to do with salvation. If that's the case, it's what you do. If Jesus Christ died for all men the same, if he died equally for the sins of Judas and the sins of Peter, and Judas winds up in hell and Peter winds up in heaven, what's the blood of Christ have to do with salvation? Nothing. Nothing. If he can die for you and you wind up in hell anyway, didn't do you any good. If God the Holy Spirit calls all men the same and some are lost and some are saved, what does the Holy Spirit have to do with salvation? Absolutely nothing. Yes, this does make sense, doesn't it? But we don't believe it because it makes sense. We believe it because of what the Scripture teaches. You and I must believe or we will not be saved. We must repent or we will not be saved. Faith and repentance. Nobody can believe for me. Nobody can repent for me. But if God doesn't first give me faith and repentance... I'll never believe, and I'll never repent. There's an order to that, isn't there? god first. Chronologically, we believe and live at the same time. You know when I have life before God? When I believe. You know when I believe? When I have life before God. Chronologically, they come the same time. There's not a second where you have life but you're not believing. You know, you got you have maybe one millionth of one second that you have life, and then all of a sudden, no, no, they come at the precise same time. But logically, life must come before faith. That is God's order. In gospel preaching, Paul said, I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. There's the order. I must receive it from God before it can truly be delivered. I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. I want you to turn with me for a moment to Romans 10. Verse 13. 4. Romans 10, verse 13. 4. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank God for that word, whosoever. I love that word. I'm one of them. It doesn't say if the elect call on the Lord. It says whosoever. And I can put myself in that demographic. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord who He is. He's all powerful. Lord, save me by your power. He's sovereign. Lord, save me by an act of your will. He's just. Lord, save me by your justice. He's merciful. Lord, save me by your mercy. You're calling on who He is to save you. You know, you can't do that unless you know who he is. When you know who he is, you'll call. You know, uh, knowing who he is has to really come before the calling. And he shows us that, look at this divine order. Verse 14. How then shall they call on him in whom they've not believed? You can't call upon somebody you've never believed. You've got to believe him. And how shall they believe in him who they've not heard? You can't believe On one you've never heard of. And how shall they hear without a preacher? They won't. And how shall they preach except they be sent? Now look at the order. God. God sends a preacher. He crosses your path with the truth. In whatever way. God's going to cross your path. He's going to cross my path with the truth. And the preacher preaches the truth. Somebody hears it, they believe it, they receive it, they call on the Lord, and they're saved. There is the divine order. Philippians chapter 2. Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, Philippians 2.12, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now it sounds there like it starts with us. We need to work it out with fear and trembling. But look what he says. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. You know when you work it out? When he works in you. Both to will and to do his good pleasure. Now let me leave you with this thought. This is my concluding statement. First righteousness. After that. Peace. If you trust Christ. As your only righteousness before God. You have none of your own. And his righteousness is the only righteousness There is. And you believe that. If you trust Jesus Christ as your only righteousness before God, you'll have peace. And I'm not necessarily even speaking of the feeling of peace. Now, we ought to have the feeling of peace. But what I'm saying is you'll have peace. You'll have it. Whether you feel it or not, you'll have it. Because Christ is your peace with God. Ephesians 2.14 says he is our peace. Having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And that's not talking about the feeling of peace. And peace is a great feeling. I, I wish I could bottle it and have it all the time. Peace. But whether I feel it or not, Christ accomplished it for me. And if you... Trust Christ as your only righteousness before God. Right now, God's at peace with you. He's pleased with you. He sees no sin in you because there is no sin. He was manifested to take away our sin. In him is no sin. You are commanded... Let me repeat that. You are commanded. This is not good advice. You are commanded to trust Christ as your righteousness before God. What if I'm not elected? Forget that. You but, but, don't even think that way. Is Christ being the only righteousness of God the truth? Is it the truth that only his righteousness is what God accepts? And you're commanded to trust him only. You trust him, and God is at peace with you. First, righteousness. After that, peace. Let's pray. Lord, we ask in Christ's name that you would be our teacher that you would be our Savior, that you would give your life to us so that we might believe. We pray that we might be found in Christ. We ask that you would be our teacher, that first his righteousness, after that the peace of God that passes understanding. Work that in each of us for Christ's sake. In his name we pray.